You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, good morning again. I'm Pastor Scott Mays, and I want to thank you for joining with both Cross Church as well as North Richland Hills Baptist Online. We are meeting only online today because of the coronavirus and the ability to dampen the spread of the disease. And we today have an empty tomb before us. You know, it's just four Sundays away from the holiday called Easter. And we are reminded that Christians all over the globe will be celebrating the hope that is found in the tomb have nothing there. We believe that Jesus Christ is risen. And while the coronavirus is changing our lives in dramatic ways, today we feel incredibly fragile incredibly vulnerable that a microbe that a virus all the way from Asia and China could impact life in the United States of America the mighty United States of America in such ways today I want us to focus on the words of Jesus if you've got a Bible I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21 and let me just give you a couple of pointers that might help you at home with kids and teenagers and maybe you are single for the next few moments Eliminate all distractions. Turn off all notifications for the few moments to come. Focus your minds and your hearts. In fact, if you've got a real copy of God's Word, get that available. Perhaps you're watching or reading God's Word online. Again, it's Matthew chapter 21. I want to focus on the words of Jesus. For centuries, believers have steadied themselves and focused their minds ahead of Easter. We've done so with spiritual disciplines, and we want to do again today. We want to find hope in a vulnerable time and looking at the words of Jesus Christ. Today we launch a series entitled, What Makes Jesus Say Amen? Now you may be a novice churchgoer. You may have come to church for just one or two times, and you may be one of those that just turn your head when you hear the amen from behind you. And truth is, it's usually the old man in the church who echoes out an amen. Now, all of us have got an amen in us at one time or another. In fact, why don't we do this? Why don't we just give a hearty amen? You can do it at home. You ready? Amen. I like this about Texans. Amen turns into about five syllables for a good Texan. And so, in the moments to come, I want us to look at what makes Jesus say amen. Now, when we say amen in America today, it's oftentimes, I like that. I like that. Tracy says, my wife, let's get barbecue. Amen. That's a fantastic call. So when we say that, we say, this is what I like. Now certainly we say amen at the end of our prayers, which is biblical. Goes all the way back to the times of the Bible, including Ephesians 3, where the word amen is not Christianese to say, God, I'm done talking to you now. I'm signing off. No. Amen means this. Amen means truly. It means this. It means trust, truth, truly. That's what the word amen means. In fact, oftentimes we say amen at the conclusion of our prayer or in the congregation, we're saying so be it. And the good news in a fragile time is that God is 100% true. God is all truth without any mixture of lie or falsehood. 
In fact, in the Gospels, the first four books of your New Testament, the Bible says 100 times that Jesus says the word amen. But Jesus doesn't say it in a synagogue. He doesn't say it at the end of his prayers. Jesus will say the word amen, and he'll preface a statement. Prior to saying something, he will say amen. In fact, let me give you some examples. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus said these words, amen, or truly, amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who's eating with me. Again, he says, amen, I tell you, truly, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, he says to Peter. Amen on another occasion. Amen, amen, John's gospel. He will repeat it in the gospel of John. I say to you, amen, amen, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will live. Jesus loved to say amen. And when he did so, he wanted us to come to a full stop to hear carefully his words the gospels contain thousands of words from jesus but when he said amen what was coming out of his mouth next was crucial it was life-changing you were to hang on to it and like a wash rag wring out every ounce that you could get from those words today i want us to focus on matthew chapter 21 where embedded in verse 31, the Bible says these words. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, look at this, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And again, for the next four or five weeks, we're going to be focusing on these amen statements. But listening carefully to this, that statement was said some 72 hours prior to Jesus' crucifixion. It was said about five days before his resurrection. It's embedded alongside two great parables. Listen again to the passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 28 of Matthew 21. Jesus said, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went up to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he changed his mind and went, and he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two, Jesus asked, did the will of his father? The crowd said the first. Jesus replied, there's our amen. Amen, I say to you at the end of verse 31. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John, John the Baptist, came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. Here then another parable, Jesus continues in verse 33. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. 
And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And for the second time, Jesus had posing a question. The people respond in his day in verse 41. He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. May God bless the reading of his word. Just a reminder today, if you're joining with us, we have ministers and pastors available who would love to pray with you. In fact, this number, both at NRH and Cross Church, we've got a number of pastors. If you want to call 817-284-9206 or 817-686-2050, we'd love to pray for you in this time that many of us are feeling very fragile. Jesus, his words, he says, truly, amen. He's 100% truth. Many of you are familiar with the MTV show Catfishing, or Catfish, I should say. And as a lot of things in modern life, a catfish isn't a catfish. Who knew? A catfish, in fact, is when you create a fake personal profile, complete with a fake picture of somebody else, preferably better looking than you, and a fake biography, probably a better life story than yours. In fact, Angel, who was a 26-year-old California girl, began a relationship with soon to be her boyfriend and soon to be her fiance. And in five months of dating online, she was ready to be married, but she was also ready to meet her soon-to-be husband. As hard as it might believe, Angel's boyfriend and her had never met, though they had somehow tied the prospective knot through engagement. It was then after five months that this 26-year-old California girl learned that she'd been catfished. See, her boyfriend wasn't a boyfriend at all. It was, in fact, her friend, Cece, who was acting like her boyfriend. Why would Cece do this? Why would she pull this deception? Because she later revealed that Angel had stolen her boyfriend. In a world of deception, in a world when we don't know we can trust what's coming across our television or coming across fake news, perhaps on social media, or even the gossip and the slander coming from one-time trusted friends. God is 100% truth. The Bible says God cannot lie. And did you know that the Bible even substitutes the word amen, truth, truly? The Bible even substitutes the name amen for God's name. That is, the Heavenly Father is called amen in the book of Isaiah. And the book of Revelation calls Jesus Christ by the name Amen. Again, God cannot lie. He is 100% truth. Jesus says again, listen carefully, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you. If we weren't in the coronavirus, this next week, many of us would be listening to talking heads, paying attention closely to sports, as to teams on the bubble. An on-the-bubble team, maybe your college team or my college team, is a team that may get in the tournament, may not get into the tournament. Now, we know that the tournament's been canceled, so really there's no team on or off the bubble. But in a similar, more predictable year, a team that's on the bubble is a team that may not get into the tournament. 
When you apply that metaphor to the tax collectors and the prostitutes, these two are not on the bubble. They are nowhere, if you took opinion poll of the first century and the people listening to Jesus when he teaches this, they're nowhere saying, are they anywhere close to heaven? Now you might ask, okay, I get what he has against prostitutes, but what's the deal with the IRS agents? Well, remember, the tax collector is a Jewish person who's now a traitor in collecting taxes for the tyrannical Roman government of Jesus' day. These are individuals who are traitorous. Secondly, they often greedily took more than was required and padded their pockets like our friend Zacchaeus would do. So Jesus is offending somebody here. He says, truly I say to you, the worst of the worst, the dregs of society are going to get into the kingdom of God before you. But just exactly who's to be offended? Well, it's not obvious as we read a moment ago, but if you take your eyes earlier in the chapter up to verse 23, you'll see that the you is the elders, the chief priests, the senior pastors of the day, if you will. These are the most moral people that you've ever met, and they are the experts on the law and the Bible. In the moments to come, I want you to see something. I want you to see that their problem is our problem. In a society where we feel increasingly fragile, I want you to see three movements of this text. The first of which, if you're just taking notes, write this down. I'm a renter acting like an owner. I'm a renter acting like an owner. Now keep the two parables together. The parable of the two sons, which is first, beginning there in verse 28. And the second, the parable of the wicked tenants, which begins right about verse 33 in your Bible. The two have to be hitched together, together like a truck and trailer. Don't separate them because the two will actually feed off one another and make the clarity even more. Let's take the second parable, the parable of the wicked tenants first. It's probably plain and clear that the owner of the vineyard here is God. He is the one who finds the property, leases the property, fixes up the property. And like any good owner, he's expecting fruit or he's expecting return on investment. In fact, what would be common of this day was to have a great harvest, the fifth year actually produce fruit. The first four years of a new property wouldn't produce a lot. Now, it's likely that none of us are farmers. Very few of us have ever harvested grapes, but all of us at one time or another have likely either rented or we've got investment property. And so we know what it's like to rent. We know what it's like to not have the ability to pay and maybe get evicted or have someone in our properties who are returning an investment. Some of you do that. And yet, what's critical, and don't miss this, what's critical in the story is that these tenants, these renters, are acting like owners. The master sends three different representatives, three different, if you will, sheriffs or people who are coming to collect rent. And all three times, the renters say, no, we don't need part of that. You know, we have a remarkable tendency to forget our Lord. You know, when you read this story, you got to be careful. Jesus' parables are some of the most interesting, most attractive, but all of them have this seductive power. They pull you in, and as soon as they pull you in, you'll no sooner find, this is a fantastic story, but you'll step on the bear trap, and all of a sudden it's sprung, 
and it's got you. Be careful. Be careful with the story. Have you found yourself in it yet? If you were to say, we all know that Jesus isn't telling this story just to tell us a 2,000-year-old story about some tenant farters in Galilee, northern Israel. He's got a bigger purpose. Have you found you in the story? Do you know where you are? Well, let me give you a hint. You aren't the owner. <laughs> You're the tenants. You're the renters. And you and I, we have a remarkable tendency to forget our Lord. Years before our story, a man named Moses, many of you are familiar with his name, not only gave the Ten Commandments, but he led the children of Israel out of Israel itself, out of Egypt, into the Promised Land. This is what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We read these words, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care. Listen carefully. Then take care, lest you forget the Lord. The Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord who brought you out of the house of slavery. We have a remarkable ability to forget our Lord. We act like we're owning the place when all the while we're renting. Perhaps that's what this crisis has done for you. There's an increased feeling of vulnerability, an increased feeling of fragileness. And the truth is we all have a remarkable feeling, a remarkable ability to forget the Lord and think that I am the master of my domain. I am the captain of my soul. We think that we've earned this life. And the truth is, friend, listen carefully, you're nothing but a tenant, and so am I, that acts like an owner. Your life is not your own. In fact, if you claim to be following Jesus Christ, your life has been bought with a price. But all of us didn't get here by our own selves. Too many of us, too many of Americans are acting like we're born on third base and all we've got to do is stroll home. You are here by the purposeful, intentional act of a creator. You and I are renters acting like we're owners. Here's the second movement in our text, the second lesson. Which son are you? Which son are you? Moving from the second parable to the first, moving from the parable of the wicked tenants back to the parable of the two sons, it's our second story that really is remarkable. Again, the first son says quite concisely, in fact, not very respectful, I will not do what you want, Dad. He's likely the older son in this traditional culture of Jesus. The father would have gone to the older son. Notice in the text in verse 28, the boy doesn't even say, sir, he just says, I won't, I'm not going. And then he goes to the second son, and this son says, I will go, sir. But shortly after leaving the father, the one who says, I will not, does the will of the Father, and the second one, the one who says, I will, doesn't do the will of the Father. And Jesus, on multiple occasions in this, says, which of the two did the will of his Father? Which of the two did what his dad asked him to do? Which son are you? Now you say, what's his first son? What's the second son? Well, it reminds you of another parable, more famous parable that Jesus told. Do you know this one? The parable of the prodigal son. The older son strolls the ranch, strolls the front yard. 
He's always by his father's side. While the wild child is out with the pig pen. That's when he wakes up finally after taking his inheritance early. And it's only then he comes back to his father. That parable, if you remember, the older son is upset that the dad threw a party for the younger son when he came back. And again, Jesus is telling us a seductive parable, one that pulls us in. You see, the second son, the wild child, what's interesting about this is the one who says, I will, but in fact doesn't. He doesn't do anything God wants him to do. In the story, he's the chief priest. He's the elders. He's the teacher of the law. He's the senior pastor of the day. He's the one in the prodigal story that's walking around with his arms folded, upset and angry that his father would spend one red cent on that crazy, wicked, wild child of his. If the first son, if the second son is the religious law-keeping type, it's the first son that you pay attention to. Notice again what he says. He says no to the father's request, but as soon as he's outside of his father's presence, he reconsiders, and he goes back to do exactly what God or the Father would want him to do. You know, if you remember the ministry of Jesus, Jesus is brought to crucifixion largely because the religious types, people like myself, egg it on and are angry. They push him to the cross. Certainly he was willing, and that was the purpose for which he came, but they were culpable in it. And from the very beginning, from John the Baptist, whom Jesus mentions in verse 32, we hear these news up in Luke chapter 3. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. They said, teacher, John the Baptist, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. It's the honest, wicked, wild child of sinners who repent, who return, and who are honest. You see, it's the honest sinners who respond to Jesus, but it's the ones who are not so honest. Jesus said on one occasion, I've not come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. Are you sick today? Or are you healthy? Do you know that you have a need for Jesus? You see, the truth is on this day, Jesus says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You need to know that the gates of heaven are wide open to honest sinners who say to Jesus, I need to change. I'm turning my life over to your direction. Just as likely, just as similarly, the gates of heaven are 100% closed to any religious orthodox person who says to the Lord, I don't need you. I don't need to repent of any sins. I'm good. Which are you? Are you one who's got it all together? Are you someone today that is sick in need of a doctor? Which son are you? Here's the third and the last, and we hurry to a conclusion. Be honest now. Let's get honest. Let's be dead level honest. There's two issues you need to be honest about in front of you. We need to press the story of Jesus, the story of the two sons, the story of these renters who are acting like owners. We need to have two issues to press upon us. And the first issue is just this. We need to be honest. We need to fess up. Where I'm from, we call this a come-to-Jesus meeting. There's no sense having a masquerade. There's no sense in dressing it up, anything other than what it is. 
The truth is, the all-knowing, all-seeing God knows your past, your present, your, your future, and he knows exactly what you're thinking. You can't lie to God. What you need today is an honest repentance. So where are you today? If the tax collectors and the prostitutes are on one side and the religious ne'er-do-wells are on the other side, which side are you on? You need to be dead level honest. The second thing you need is just this. You need to respond with Jesus. You know the worst, most dangerous fires in your home is a fire in the attic? You know why a fire in the attic is so much more dangerous than the other fire? For several reasons. You don't have any, likely, any smoke alarms, any fire detection systems in the attic. It can build up quite a bit of head of steam in the attic, and it jumps only when it jumps out through the roof do you become aware of the fire at that point. You have the most dangerous place if you're acting like a Pharisee. You are a walking fire in the attic. You look as if you've got it all together, but you need a real honesty, and you need to come and respond to Jesus. Let's be rid of deception. Let's embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I find interesting about all these amens? And again, Jesus said a hundred times in the Gospels, truly, truth, trustworthy, reliable, amen, the God who cannot lie, 100 times in the Gospels. You search throughout history, no other apostle, no other teacher, no other believer would copy Jesus' practice. I find that fascinating. Apostles would heal people. Others would go into places of great need and have great teaching. But nobody throughout history would come after Jesus and copy his amen I say to you. The truth is, Jesus has always been in the class by himself. He may have been someone in your history books or someone that your parents or grandparents have worshipped, but today he is absolutely worthy of all your consideration. If you're a skeptic, atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, you may be Catholic, Baptist, I don't care what your background might be. Today is the day to be honest with yourself and to say, I need mercy. I want to side with the tax collectors, the prostitutes. I want to know for certain I received the mercy of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that those who are in need of a Savior, Jesus the righteous, died on the cross for your sins so that you might receive the free gift of mercy. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.